Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host Dawn, aka Usamimi. This month I'm back with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my extremely fancy name for a podcast episode that I record by myself where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years, take some notes on what I remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day since you know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change or we pick up on things that we didn't notice before, all that stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast in a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go in-depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes where I give myself a little bit of a break to do something a little shorter. So if this kind of episode isn't your favorite type, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. The next episode will be another longer one with a special guest, so please look forward to it. Now that that's all out of the way, let's get on with the show. From Beastars to Trigger's new brand new animal, over the past year or so, we've seen a small resurgence in those times when anime and furry fandoms cross over. Anthro characters are nothing new to anime and manga, and they have a pretty long history of sharing the same space, all the way back to the early days of Tezuka. And while it's become pretty standard for modern anime fans to poke fun at furry content, as someone who consumed plenty of talking animal cartoons during the 80s, I'm all for seeing something like this making a comeback to break the monotony for a little while. In a sea of new anime constantly coming out with wave after wave of new seasons filled with shows that often look and sound very alike or very similar to everything around it, shows with anthro characters stand out like a beacon on the outskirts. The looming, broody character designs of B-stars and the slick, stylish feel of the world of Brand New Animal would never be confused with anime from the same season, and even those who don't care for that kind of stuff can't really argue with that. So what does any of this have to do with older anime? Well, this got me thinking about anime with anthro characters in it. And while looking through one of my old Japanese anime magazines, I was reminded of a little OVA series that came out in the early 90s called KO Century Beast Warriors, which was released in the US simply as KO Beast. KO Beast is actually something I'd been vaguely wanting to revisit for a while now because I knew I had seen it at some point, but I legitimately could not remember where or when, and I also can't really remember anything about it, other than it had a very 90s style, very cute anthro character designs for some of its main cast, and uh, that it was a fantasy adventure series, I was pretty sure. Uh, When I sat down to write about what I remembered about K.O. Beast and my opinions about it, my mind was a complete blank, honestly. Since it's an early 90s series, I assume I probably either saw it at an anime club screening, a convention video room, 
or it was a copy of a copy of a copy a friend made on VHS for me to fill up the rest of a tape of something I requested. I could see any of these being true, and me not remembering it probably just means it didn't grab me enough the first time and I just never got around to trying it again. Because of this, I don't even remember if I ever even finished watching this short OVA series, or if I originally watched it subtitled or dubbed. All I remember is some vaguely cute animal characters, like I said, gallivanting around in possibly some sort of fantasy world? I'm extremely hazy on any sort of details. Which is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to re-watching this one. I have no idea why I can vaguely remember the title but absolutely nothing specific about it, so I'm hoping that watching it again may jog my memory somewhat. So, I guess we'll see. Let's pop in this 90s relic and see if it holds up in this month's rewatch. So, K.O. Beast is a seven-episode OVA series that was initially released in Japan in 1992 as K.O. Century Beast Warriors, or K.O. Sekai Beast Sanjushi. The title is actually a pun, which I wasn't aware of before. Sanjushi is the Japanese translation used for the Three Musketeers, but in K.O. Beast, it's written with the kanji ju as in beast instead of ju as in gun, making the name closer to something along the lines of K.O. Three Beasketeers. <laughs> and ironically, much like the original Musketeer story, there are more than three of them. But I guess when Right Stuff released it on DVD in America 11 years later or so, they didn't think it sounded as cool and just stuck with the shorter, somewhat snappier KO Beast instead, which is how I'll be referring to it for the rest of the episode, just to make things a little easier. KO Beast's basic plot plays out like this. Thousands of years into a somewhat post-apocalyptic, kind of fantasy-esque future, the Earth has been split into two factions, both literally and figuratively. The Earth was somehow magically split down the hemispheres directly in the center, separating the humans and the, quote, beasts. The beasts being humanoid creatures that can turn into basically furry versions of themselves. The beasts live in tribes separated by animal type, but the heroes of our story are all brought together by chance during a treasure hunt to decide to work together to search for what they think is the world's greatest treasure. 
and our main characters are all based on the four animal gods of Chinese folklore. Those of you who are familiar with titles like Yu Yu Hakusho or Fushugi Yugi will probably notice this right away. We have Wan of the Tiger Clan. We have Maymar of the Mermaid Clan, who is accompanied by Tuttle, the Turtle Man. And then we have Bud of the Bird Clan. All four of them are trusted with guarding the young human girl Yuni after the untimely death of her grandfather, the very ominously named Dr. Password, whose almost comically long dying breath tells them all that she will eventually help them find the mysterious Gaia. He also entrusts them with the three giant magical super robot-like animal totems called Jinns, each one of course themed similarly to their animal type. A cat-like one, a sort of fish-like one, and a bird-like one. Of course, the humans of the Northern Hemisphere want to get to this treasure first, as both it and their Jinns supposedly hold great power, and they want that power for themselves. Uranus, the mysterious human leader, also known as the Tsar Master, sends his human goons Vidarn and Vijan to follow our heroes and try to stop them by any means necessary with their own little wise-cracking sidekick, Akumako. Eventually, they too gain the power of their own jinns, which result in the inevitable super robot battles between them. Now, you might think this sounds like a great setup for an over-the-top, hot-blooded battle series with lots of action and grit. Well, did I forget to mention that it's basically a fantasy comedy adventure? <laughs> While the first two episodes really try to toss you headfirst into the story and the world building the creators of this series wanted to tell, a lot of that takes a back seat at times to the characters being just silly, and setting them up for punny jokes or slapstick gags. The difference in tone from scene to scene can almost be a bit jarring at times if you have no idea what you're in for, especially with the first two episodes where it feels like they're really trying to cram in as much as possible at times to keep the story going, but to make sure they kept everything well within their episode runtimes. Literally everything about this OVA screams the 90s, and depending who you talk to, this can either be extremely good or extremely bad. Everything from the very pointy and exaggerated character designs to the gag-heavy humor to the overall concepts makes it feel like a sort of greatest hits mixtape of all the fan-favorite stuff of the time. The main hero, Juan, is a somewhat dim but brave glutton. Bud likes to think of himself as a ladies' man. Maymar constantly has glittering treasure on her mind and obviously likes Juan. Yuni is the mysterious girl who is somehow connected to everything, but since she is a child character, she of course is constantly running around laughing and being silly and eating candy. All of the beast heroes have different triggers for their animal transformations to happen. Juan has to sneeze or become very angry, Bud has to be frightened or disgusted, etc, etc. So. Of course, there are plenty of gags relating to them having to transform or transforming accidentally or things like that. 
The magical animal robots also feel similar to something out of maybe Magic Knight Ray Earth. And the human villains chasing after our heroes have that sort of classic Duranjo gang feel of two bumbling idiots and one person who can actually somewhat know what they're doing most of the time. Hell, we even have hammer space gags and conveniently ripped clothing, along with plenty of other slapstick that was the norm for the time. And once you dig into the series' background, some of those things start to make a little sense. For starters, one of the main backers of this series, with prominent listing in the opening credits, is Dragon Magazine, which listeners might know better as the magazine that was home to such comedic fan favorites as The Slayers, Dragon Half, and Hyper Police, all three of which also contain characters that could easily fit under the furry umbrella. But the other thing all of these have in common? They're all full of slapstick and silly humor mixed with the occasional high-stakes drama, and all of them also tend to fit under the fantasy comedy genre as well. Knowing this, the content of K.O. Beast is a little bit more understandable. To me, personally, K.O. Beast feels a lot like a series where the creators were like, what if we tried to make an anime out of our latest tabletop RPG campaign? It's a fantasy series, but it doesn't take itself very seriously for practically the whole series unless you count most of the very beginning and most of the very end? The pacing isn't the best at times, but it gives you enough world building and character development that you feel like you understand the mechanics of it. Some of the character design choices are absolutely ridiculous though, like Akumako's obvious Lum-inspired look and Vijon's absolutely ridiculous middle-of-her-dang-forehead ponytail. But when the looks are good, they are pretty good. For example, we do get a side character that looks suspiciously like Bebop from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I personally loved and thought was hysterical. The jokes don't always land, and some of it's fairly dated humor by now, but there are fun bits throughout the series. K.O. Beast is a little rough around the edges at times, but there's definitely a lot of heart there. The characters are genuinely likable, and while I was a little worried at first when I saw Tuttle's cute and very round body shape that he was going to be the butt of many, many jokes, I don't think I heard a single fat joke throughout the whole series. For something that was made in the early 90s, I was honestly impressed by this, as that was, and still is, a pretty common go-to gag in comedies. If anything, most of the jokes made at any character's expenses were usually geared towards their vices, like Juan's bottomless stomach or Bud's womanizing. Bud's shtick does get a little bit tiresome at times, but honestly, it's pretty tame in comparison to other OVAs of the time. Hell, there isn't even really that much nudity for a 90s OVA, save for the gag in the opening sequence and the very last episode, uh, which also briefly got a lot bloodier than the previous episodes, which was a bit unexpected for me. I think we actually see Vidarn get accidentally naked more than any of the women in the show, actually, which is kind of funny. 
I didn't know this beforehand, so I was a little surprised to discover that originally this OVA series was actually two separate OVA series, with the first one spanning the first three episodes and having a completely different opening theme. The opening theme we see played throughout the series on Right Stuff's DVD is actually from the second series, which honestly... That wasn't a horrible decision on their part, as it is definitely the better of the two openings. They do include the original opening as an extra on one of the DVDs at least, which is kind of nice. And this isn't the only case of Right Stuff changing things just slightly. In the original, Tuttle of the Turtle Tribe's name is actually Mecha, which is Kame, the Japanese word for turtle, spelled backwards. They changed this in both the dub and the subtitles, I'm assuming because they thought a translated version of the name would sound better, or maybe they thought that that was the only way someone would get the joke that his name was supposed to be turtle-related. The dub also changed Bud's frequent use of English terms to try to sound cool in Japanese to just Bud spouting some incredibly cheesy pickup lines, which still conveys the same sort of mood, so I think it works okay. Speaking of the dub, since I couldn't remember which version I'd seen previously, I decided to try something different and go with watching the dub version over the subtitled one. And I was happily surprised with how charming it was. I think it really added a lot to the viewing experience because with a bad dub, I could easily see just tossing this into a pile of mostly forgettable 90s OVAs. I'll go into more detail about the cast in a moment, but something that I thought was really cute was that since there were some voices in the cast that were also in the Pokemon dub, the dub script actually included a couple of Pokemon jokes, which I thought was amusing and added yet another layer to just how extremely 90s this whole series felt. For a 90s dub, I feel like it had a very strong cast and has aged pretty well. My only nitpick with it would be that the voice of Uni sometimes would come off as too loud or too annoying, but given when this was made and that she's a little kid character, I guess that's to be expected. So the dub voice cast included actors like Sam Regal as one, who you might have heard before as the original voice of Tristan in the Yu-Gi-Oh! dub, Oda in the first two Pat Labor films, and Chico in Pokemon Master Quest. But more recently, you might know him as a regular cast member in the popular Critical Role RPG series. Liam O'Brien plays the role of Bud, and you might recognize him also as the voice of Junta in DNA 2, Mamiya in Revolutionary Girl Utena, Dr. Tenma in Monster, as well as yet another regular cast member of the Critical Role series. Deborah Rabai provides the voice of Maymar and was also Kanuka Clancy in the Pat Labor OVAs, Alicione in the Ray Earth OVA, and the female Maze in Maze. Vijan is played by Rachel Lillis, another Pokemon veteran who was the original voices of both Misty and Jessie in Pokemon, and was also Utena in Revolutionary Girl Utena. Martina in Slayer's Next, and Yuriko in Irresponsible Captain Taylor. Lisa Ortiz plays the role of Akumako, but you've probably heard her play Lena Inverse in the Slayer's franchise, 
Maytel in various Galaxy Express spin-off dubs, and Deedlet in Record of Lotus War. She's also another Pokemon regular doing various voices throughout the series. Jessica Cavallo also joins the cast later in the series as SP Ice Gal, but she's much better known as the English voice of Cutie Honey in both New Cutie Honey and Cutie Honey Universe, Mink in Dragon Half, and Yuri in the Dirty Pair OVAs. While I was doing research on the series, I was also surprised to discover that Anime UK Magazine actually produced and released their own dub of the first KOB series back in 1994 on VHS, almost 10 years before Right Stuff's American release. I'm assuming it didn't sell well enough to fund the release of the second series to finish it off, as it seems to be the only anime release Anime UK Magazine ever did. I couldn't find a complete cast list of this version, or even clips of it online to try to compare, so it might be one of those dubs that's just a bit lost to time, unfortunately. Which is a shame, because among the names I noticed some anime UK regulars, including prominent writer Helen McCarthy, who apparently played Akumako? If anyone out there knows where I can find more information on it, let me know, because I am very curious about it. The Japanese cast is also pretty impressive for a fairly small series, and includes some fan favorites like Kape Yamaguchi, Takehiro Koyasu, and Ai Orikasa. I watched a few scenes in Japanese for comparison, and it was pretty good. I especially love Koyasu's version of Bud. So either way you decide to watch the series, both have pretty good, strong casts of voices. This series was originally created by Horishi Nagishi, Satoru Akahori, Rei Nakahara, and Takehiro Ito. It was an original creation that wasn't based on an existing manga or novel, but the OVA series did lead to a currently unfinished novel series by Akahori, several PC Engine games, and audio dramas released both on cassette and CD. The drama CDs even had opening and ending themes by big-name artists like Hironobu Kageyama and Seikimatsu, which kind of surprised me considering I didn't think this series was ever all that popular, but I guess it had enough dedicated fans to warrant it? But getting back to the creators. So Hiroshi Nagishi was the series director as well as one of the creators, who was also one of the creators and directors of anime series like the Knights of Lamine franchise, the Saber Marionette franchise, the Tenji Muyo franchise, and Master of Musquidon. Co-creator Satoru Akahori wrote the script and was also part of the staff on previously mentioned series, as well as being the original creator of Combustible Campus Gardress, Maze, and Sorcerer Hunters. Co-creator Rei Nakahara worked on the mechanical designs of the series and also did mechanical designs for Tekamon Blade, Martian successor Nadeshko, and the Knights of Lamine series. Co-creator Takahito Ito did character designs and also did designs for Bastard, Outlaw Star, Escaflone, and the later Knights of Lamine series. So obviously, there is a lot of crossover between all of their work, as they must have really enjoyed working and creating together. 
I'd also forgotten that Kosuke Fujishima, best known as the creator of Oh My Goddess, did costume designs for the second OVA series, aka the later half of the show. If you've seen the designs he did for things like the Tales of video game series and Sakura Wars, you can kind of see his influence a little bit, but to be honest, they're not too different from the designs of the first half. Music from the series was done by Hirohiko Fukuda, and when looking up his other works, honestly, he really hasn't done a whole lot. His other notable works include music for the Kochi Muite Miko TV series, the film They Were Eleven, and theme song arrangement for Victory Gundam. Other than that, it looks like they haven't really done any work in anime since the 90s for some reason. I wouldn't say the music in the series is all that memorable, though. The stuff that stuck with me was more the opening and ending themes, which are fun and catchy, though much like the series overall, nothing extremely groundbreaking. As I mentioned previously, the entire series was licensed by Right Stuff in 2003 and released on three separate DVDs as this was back before releasing everything in a complete box set right away was the norm. It's since gone out of print, most likely from Right Stuff letting their license lapse after a while. It's not terribly hard to find on the secondhand market though. As of this recording, you can find all three of the DVDs for around 10 bucks or less each. Since they're older, the picture quality on the DVDs isn't outstanding, but it's still watchable. I could easily see a company like Discotech picking this title up though for a re-release, as it would fit right in with their re-releases of Sorcerer Hunters, the Knights of Lamine series, and Magic Knight Re-Earth. Hey, maybe they could even find that long-lost Anime UK dub and add it as an extra. Hmm, just putting it out there. So, would I recommend KO Beast? If you're already a fan of the stuff that the creators have made before together, like the various Knights of Lamine shows and Sorcerer Hunters and Maze, a lot of the same sort of style of humor from those are similarly present here, just much more condensed. If you like a short fantasy adventure romp that doesn't take itself very seriously and is jam-packed with every stereotypical 90s anime OVA thing you can think of, then this is basically made for you. And I don't mean that negatively at all. There's plenty of fun stuff to be had here, even though all of the charming bits make the parts where they're trying to do something more emotionally impactful a little bit more difficult to take seriously. Since they spend so much of the series tossing most of the plot out of the window and just focusing on the fun character stuff. The staff obviously had a blast making it, and even the animation seems to improve during the later half of the series, with some super robot fights that looked surprisingly good for a series where that wasn't really supposed to be the main draw at all. If you're looking for a fantasy series with a little bit more fleshed out, more of a balanced plot of serious but slightly goofy at times, you can easily skip this for something like Magic Knight Re-Earth, The Vision of Escaflone, or even something like Lotus War. But if this kind of series is exactly your jam, then I would totally recommend it alongside things like Dragon Half, Rune Explorers Famine Eerie, and Elf Princess Rain, or even Slayers, as they seem to fit into either the same line of humor aesthetics or both.
It's a weird little OVA that definitely gets lost in a sea of very similar ones made in the early 90s. So if you're looking for something a little more obscure to try, it's basically the equivalent of having some junk food on the couch with some friends and not doing anything incredibly notable, but still having a very pleasant afternoon. And for something that I remembered as being a sort of, quote, furry anime, actually the, quote, furry content is kind of on the low side. So if you're not really into that sort of thing, I wouldn't say that you have to be an extreme furry fan to enjoy it either. And speaking of things with tone shifts that move abruptly from fun to dramatic, now I'm going to be taking a moment to get a little serious here, if you don't mind. The past month has had a lot of sadness in it. The anime community recently lost a very prominent voice, one Mr. Zach Birchie of Anime News Network and ANN Cast. Zach was an early supporter of my podcast, sending in questions for episodes and leaving me nice comments on Twitter. I was humbled when he asked me to be a guest on ANN Cast for the first time and proceeded to be humbled every single other time after that that I returned. He was the first person to not only encourage me to not only podcast, but to write, and was the first person to pay me to write about things. Many have told me over the past few years that they got into listening to my podcast from hearing me on ANN Cast, and I could never thank him enough for seeing the value of all the things I put all my hard work into. And it pains me that after all these years, I never got to meet him in person to thank him for all that he's not only given me, but to others as well. This month marks the seven-year anniversary of my podcast, and I might not have kept going with it for this long if not for the encouragement of people like Zach. His family has asked that if people want to do something to honor his memory, to make a donation in his name to the Trevor Project, which I have already done and will encourage others to do if you have the means to. Zach will be greatly missed, and I send my love and my heartfelt condolences to all of his family, his friends, and his loved ones. We'll miss you, Zach. Speaking of donations, normally this is the time of the podcast episode where I give shoutouts to people who leave me tips this month on Kofi. But this month, in lieu of sending money to me, I asked listeners to send donations to charitable organizations that will help support not only the LGBTQIA community, but to black organizations in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. It should go without saying, but this podcast stands with people everywhere currently fighting for justice. Black Lives Matter, forever and always. So thank you so much to listeners Mondo, Trisha, Grant, L-A-H-T-H-E-R.com, Zachary, and several other listeners who wish to remain anonymous. I appreciate you all taking the time to donate to worthy causes right now. Every little bit helps, even small donations of only a few dollars. So if you are able to spare some funds, it's a great way to help if you're unable to do things like protest or volunteer in your own communities. I'll leave links in the podcast notes to some of the places you can look into for those of you who are interested. My theme song music is done by Carobit. You can find more of Carobit's music at inazumakick.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care of yourselves out there, and I'll see you next time. 
have blah, 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 blah.